This is the Fox Sports Florida Miami Heat podcast. I'm your host, Siri Fernandez, and joining me once again is Sun Sentinel reporter Ira Winderman. I'm sure uh, you're enjoying a little bit this offseason. How's it going? It's going good. Um, actually, the offseason is sort of waiting for the lottery, waiting for the right. draft, and waiting for free agency. There's always something. A lot of, a lot of waiting going on. <laughs> uh, have you been catching up on the, on the playoffs? Uh, any surprises for you in the, in the first round? You know, I, I think when you look at the first round of the playoffs, what really stands out to most people is just the amount of injuries and how they've impacted the playoffs, whether it was Kevin Love and, and the Cavaliers having to push through without him, whether it's the Rockets without Patrick Beverly, whether it's the Clippers ending that great series against the Spurs and then having to go into the next round at the start without Chris Paul. I, I think the story of, of the playoffs, as much as anything, including Mike Conley with the Grizzlies, mm. has been how you really can see that it's a battle of attrition, and you can see the teams that have been healthiest, teams like, surprisingly, Chicago and especially Golden State, really makes a difference. It shows how much the, gro- the grueling season really can take a toll. Yeah, it, it's true, and, and that was kind of like the story of the, of the regular season as well. Um, have, you, have you seen enough from the remaining teams to you know maybe predict which teams will make it to the finals? I think when you look at the, you know, I think my problem with the playoffs has been if I were to seed the teams in the playoffs, you know, if you could sort of do it free-handed like the NCAA tournament people would, you would never have had Clippers against the Spurs in the first round, which might have been the best series the entire playoff. (laughs) And even right now with the Cavaliers against the Bulls in the Eastern Conference semifinals, it really has a feel of the Eastern Conference Finals. I think the way the seedings have worked out this year, it's almost like we're getting the best of the playoffs earlier instead of in the Conference Finals. I think the best Western Conference Series will wind up being Clippers against the Spurs. I think the only Western Conference Series that might be as compelling would be the Clippers against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. And I really think no matter who comes out of the Bulls-Cavaliers Series, they're going to have a decided edge of whoever comes out of the Wizards-Hawks Series. Right, it's true. I, I haven't really thought about that yet, but I, but it's still going to be pretty thrilling whichever teams do make it to those conference finals. Um, you know, it just you know maybe looking back at, at what might have been with the Heat, do you think they would have won? You know, how many games would 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 the Heat have won against the Hawks had they made the playoffs? Did, when I watched that series, and you saw when you saw what Brooklyn with their limited assets were right. able to do against Atlanta and yeah. the four six games, <laughs> and when you looked at the Heat, even without Chris Bosh, who obviously was not going to be part of the equation, but yeah. you looked at Dwayne Wade and you looked at Goran Dragic and you look at Hassan Whiteside, where the stitches I assume by now finally appealed. I think based on that, the Heat could have given the Hawks a heck of a series. Because I think the Hawks are very much a team built to win during the regular season. But when it comes to a go-to guy, we saw that in one of the games against Brooklyn when Millsap was forced to try to force up shots. There was nothing there at the end of the the first overtime period. You could see how the Heat could have competed. When I look at the teams in the Eastern Conference, honestly, I would say outside of Chicago and Cleveland, to be honest, I think the Heat could have played competitive series with any and when you look at the bracket they would have wound up in, right. which would have been against the Hawks in the first round as an eight seed like the Nets were, and against the winner of Toronto-Washington in the next round, I think you could really see why Heat management knew that if they can get in the playoffs, they could have made some noise, because that clearly is one of the less quad, you know, lesser quadrants of the entire playoff bracket. Right, and, and we saw somebody like, like, like Lopez have a great series, and... You you wonder you know what what might have been maybe like a Hassan Whiteside you know against against a team like that, 
but it, it it is what it is, and we, we you know we'll move on, I guess. Uh, but uh, uh, some of those season uh, end of the season awards that we had talked about um, before the end of the regular season, uh, I think you you were pretty close on a lot of them uh, with coach of the year, uh, MVP, um, rookie of the year. Uh, any other surprises? Um, we still have to know about who, uh, who's going to win the most improved player too. Well, I mean, you know, that stuff is still out. To me, one of the most intriguing votes of, of all of them, the media votes for the media awards, was MVP in the fact of of all the players to receive votes. And again, on that ballot, it was first through fifth place on all of our ballots. LeBron James was the only player from the Eastern Conference to get any votes. And I think that really spoke to the season and how it shook out that there was not another player in the Eastern Conference among all the players who received votes who showed up on anyone's ballots of the 130 media members, I think that really told the story of the season. When you look at how that played out, that this was a Western Conference season. This was a Golden State Warriors season where Steph Curry made sense because it was the best best player on the best team in the best conference. I think that, that one award stood out to me. And, and I say the other one I really look at is Executive of the Year. And I think of the fact that, that David Griffin did not get it from Cleveland when you think that he landed LeBron James and the trades he made for Mozgov and for J.R. Smith and for Iman Shumpert, it reminded me of when Pat Riley had to share executive of the year with Gar Foreman for the Bulls yeah. in the summer after the summer when he re-signed Dwayne Wade, added LeBron James, and added Chris Bosh. I really was very surprised how executive of the year played out because I think you have to sort of pay the due to Cleveland. Not only did they land the best player in the game last summer, even if it was just a homecoming, but he went out and he totally rebuilt that team, including the Kevin Love trade yeah. and the way that needed to get pulled together also. I think executive of the year was a real surprise to me how that played out. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I'm just curious, are the votes for these awards cast before the playoffs begin, or can a player's you know, postseason performance influence the voting? No, they were all due at noon, I believe it was noon the day after the regular season. It's, it's always been one of my pet gripes, that when you look at the NBA playoffs, they last a full two months, which is the equivalent of one-third of the regular season. Okay. And they mean so much more. I almost wish they would go to a system where you could include the entire playoffs. And I've had a chance to talk to people in the league. I even asked David Stern about it once, and he said, look, we have our MVP of the finals award, so we have a postseason award. My thought was, yeah, but that's just about the finals. That doesn't take into account the entirety of the, of the four rounds of the playoffs you have to win. And his thought was, well, not everyone goes to the playoffs. Well, you know what? If you're not good enough to get to the playoffs, right. then maybe you're not good enough to deserve a vote anyway. I would love to see the NBA go to a system one day where the playoffs are included, I think it would make it a much more meaningful award. And you know what? You could always do it like the Players Association is now as a midsummer award show. I mean, this league televises the draft. They televise right. Summer League. Why not televise an award show in July as well? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely expand it, uh, the, the awards. Um, I, I, yeah, I just think that the playoffs mean so much that we have to be honest in this league, and I think it should be included. And I think then right. you could look back and maybe change some of your votes based on what players do or don't get done. Definitely, definitely. Um, turning to the Heat, which players um, from, from the Heat's roster do you see uh, will be joining the uh, Summer League squad? Uh, well, I already talked to Tyler Johnson and James Ennis, and they told me they'll be back. I kidded James Ennis. Uh, the all-time scoring record, career scoring record, at the Orlando Summer League is held by Earl Barron, who seemingly went back every year for like five years with the Heat. And now this will be James' third summer at the Orlando Summer League. He told me he's back. Tyler Johnson said he'll be back. A couple of curious names. I, I am curious to see 
if someone like Henry Walker, who's been well through the league, would play summer league, I doubt he would. Mm -hmm. And then there's Shabazz Napier. And if you remember, Shabazz struggled so much with his shot last summer in both Orlando and Las Vegas. I'm really curious whether they want to put him back in that situation where it could really hurt his confidence again, or whether he just spends time in the Heat's gym in the offseason instead. But I do think he needs to grow more as a player. And I do think he needs to become much more of an offensive threat. So I think it would be, it would benefit him to at least play some of summer league. But I am curious to see how the Heat plays that out. Well, didn't he say that he had he had to get used to the the basketball, the NBA basketball? So he should be well, used he, to he it. He said now. that after last summer, he said adjusting from the ball at UConn. Right. Now he certainly had a full season, and he's certainly been in the Heat's gym now for almost <laughs> a calendar year. So I think he's beyond that. I think it's when to take his shot what his range is in the situation. The problem with Summer League is you're playing guys who are desperate to get jobs. You're not playing against typical NBA defense, so it takes you out of your comfort zone also. So I think the Heat have to weigh that as well. And how about any of the uh, the Sioux Falls Sky Force players? Uh, have you heard anything about... You know, it's interesting because some of the guys who played for the Sioux Falls Sky Force, of course, are not actually physically under contract to the right. Heat. And they've been mentioned and leaked to other teams as well. And plus, a lot of times the, the European teams will come in, like Alex Scotty Hobson, who played so well for them, and they'll make it offer even before Summer League. Come play with us. Don't get injured. Be with our team. Don't show off in front of the NBA. The, the payoff will be we'll give you guaranteed money. Teams in China are doing that more often now also. So I'm not sure how many from Sioux Falls show up. I know there are guys like Ken Birch who had a training camp at the Heat. I could see them bringing it back. I think it's really, honestly, a matter of the guarantee. If they're going to pay guys, sometimes they can pay guys and let them know we'll give you a partial guarantee mm-hmm. when the season starts. You know, I can see the Heat bringing in a few of them. But I, I think right now most of those guys are really going to be looking at, hey, is there a chance for me to make the roster? And when you look at a Ken Birch and you look at the Heat roster and you say they already have Hassan Whiteside and Chris Bosch and Birdman and Udonis Haslam, yeah. you have to wonder whether there would be much of a chance to actually make the final roster. I think that's what those guys weigh as much as anything. Right, and there won't be that many open roster spots anyway because most of the Heat players are under contract. Uh, so yeah, you know there are, but again, there, there are a lot of partial guarantees. I mean, we right. know Whiteside's on a partial guarantee, but he's going to get his money. But but the guys like Beasley and Henry Walker and Tyler Johnson and mm-hmm. James Ennis, if someone better comes along, a lot of those contracts are written with guarantees that are paid on August first, guarantees that are paid at the start of the season, guarantees that are paid in December. So there's plenty of wiggle room in those partially guaranteed contracts as well. True, true. And and which Heat player, you know, overall stands the most to gain during the off season? Is it Hassan Whiteside? I think Hassan Whiteside sort of knows who he is. I think he has to stay healthy. I, I think he's already made a name for himself. I, I okay. don't know how much more he has to add to his repertoire because, honestly, when he was hitting those jumpers before the hand injury, he showed that he has a pretty complete game. I, I look at I, I, the game, a name I would go back to. What will happen with Shabazz Napier? Right. Can he challenge for minutes at backup point guard? You know, is he going to become one of these first-round picks that doesn't pay off? Or is he going to become someone you can put on the court, not only feel comfortable with him as a playmaker, but also feel comfortable with him as a scorer where opposing defenses have to pay attention? I think of all the Heat players, I think this summer, right now, until they draft someone, is probably going to be biggest for Shabazz Napier. Okay, and, and, and you mentioned the first round. Um, to recap, what are the chances the Heat retain that pick or maybe even move up to one of the first three spots in the lottery? Well, the Heat right now is seeded number 10 for the lottery, mm-hmm. May 19th. It's random, but it's weighted. They can only move up to the top three picks. Only the top three picks are, are drawn. Everyone else goes by inverse order of record. Right now, the Heat has a 91% chance of keeping its first-round pick. 
which means keeping either number 10 or jumping up to one, two, or three. Mm-hmm. They have a 4% chance to also move up and get one of the first three picks, but they also have a 9% chance of losing that first-round pick based on owing Philadelphia a top-10 protected lottery pick that otherwise would go to them. So it's tenuous times. It's really interesting. Pat Riley and his staff is Ted Tamara, the personnel director, Adam Simon, the assistant general manager. They went over to Spain. There's a couple of really good prospects playing in the Spanish League. They're still going on right now. They looked at them. The Heat can start bringing in players. The Chicago pre-draft camp begins in less than two weeks. They'll have that also. So right now the Heat are moving forward as if they very much are going to have a first-round pick. And then will come the reality of the main 19th draft lottery, mm. which will let the Heat know for the following month how involved will they be in the draft or how involved won't they be in the draft. Right. And, and, and assuming they do keep that number 10 selection, which players should the Heat consider drafting? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because it is a draft of big men. It's a draft mm. of power forwards. Those are the names that are going to be there for the Heat. Those are the names in Carl Anthony Towns and Okafor that are going to be at the top of the draft. I'm looking at a Stanley Johnson from Arizona as possibly fitting the wing for the Heat. To me, the two positions the Heat need to address going forward, whether it's by the draft or free agency, are basically both on the wing, backup small forward, backup shooting guard. Last year, they ended the season with Tyler Johnson behind Dwayne Wade, Mario Chalmers playing some of those minutes. They ended the season with very little behind Luol Dang, assuming he comes back. He has a player option or else he becomes a free agent. So I think the Heat need to look at the wing in that, in that spot if they wind up at number 10. I think if they move up to the top three, you simply take the best player available. And then you have Emmanuel Mudiay, who's played this past season in China, real dynamic scoring guard. Then you have D'Angelo Russell out of Ohio State. You'll find a way to make another point guard work if you need to. But I think the Heat would have to look at a wing if they wind up at number 10. And and yeah, like you said, if if they get the num- one of the top three, definitely you just take whoever's the best available. But at number ten, what what is the strategy there? Because if it's a deep draft, do they draft the best player or or draft by need? No, I think you draft by need because I think it's all about the moment. Because Dwayne Wade's not going to be around for the for a developmental player in his fourth or fifth season to finally hit a stride. So mm-hmm. I think it's all about the moment which is why I think it also could be very much the case if the Heat keep number 10 or move into the top three, that it just becomes a chip for maybe more of an NBA-ready player. This franchise doesn't like where it is right now. They did not like being on the outside looking in the playoffs. They've almost made a place to their fans. We will be back once Chris Bosh is healthy, once mm-hmm. Josh McRoberts is healthy, once it's on Whiteside is healthy. So I think this team maybe makes next season a little bit more of a priority than a lot of other teams in the lottery might. And and, and you did mention a couple minutes ago what you know what the Heat biggest roster needs are, but is that assuming Dragic and Deng return? Well, I'm assuming that Rogers returns just because you're talking $30 million extra. The fact that Pat Riley gave up two potential lottery picks to get him, someone must know something there. These are smart business people. And the way Goran told us at the season-ending you know, media session how much he liked it here, I think he's went to it. But I think it's a little more interesting. He could be looking for a bigger contract. He could say, I can't wait to 2016. I don't know if the $10 million this year is going to be my final payday or not. There actually is a means where he can opt out of his heat contract take a 20% raise off of the $10 million he made this past year and build a new, say, 40 or $40 million contract for himself. So I think there's a bunch of ways where it's more logical that he stays with the Heat, whether it's by not opting out or whether it's by building a new contract based on that 20% minimum raise he's allowed to have. And, and you know, you, 
and I agree with you that the Heat kind of are in a in a win now mode because they really can't afford to wait too long with with Bosch and and Wade and, and those kind of players. Um, but is there you know maybe something to maybe trading that pick if they do retain it? And, oh, and what, that, that's why I said it absolutely. And, and again, there's so many permutations. Right, you wind up in the top three and you get an Okafor and a Carl Anthony Towns. Maybe you say to yourself, you know what? These guys are going to be on a rookie scale for four years. We have Hassan Whiteside. He's might getting a max contract next year. Maybe you have to consider moving Hassan. The lottery will change a lot of how the Heat thinks going forward. Right. As will not getting a draft pick at all when they'll have to look at free agency mm-hmm. and maybe make them more likely to bring back all their free agents because they are limited in their options. Right. So, yeah, it's, Pat Riley always talks about chips, not specific players but how having something, what it can do for you down the road, that's what makes May 19th so important for this team. Right. And and what's your feeling on what Wade will do with regards to his contract? You know, what what really benefits the Heat the most in the long run with Wade? Well, what benefits the Heat the most and Dwayne the most might be two different things, but the one thing I think Heat fans can rest assured in, Dwayne has always worked with the Heat to help the Heat maximize their possibility. Right. So if Pat Riley says, hey, if you don't opt out, we can get better players, let's do this. Hey, if you do opt out and build a new long-term contract, we can do that. I think in both cases, Dwayne is going to say, which makes the Miami Heat the better team, which will give me a roster I'm more comfortable with. So I think he very much will work with the Heat. I can't fathom Dwayne Wade ever wearing a uniform but the Miami Heat uniform. Yeah, and, 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 and I, I agree, too. I think Heat Nation does as well. And all right, well, I mean, hey, once again, thank you uh, for, for joining us. Um, well, you know, we will talk sometime either before or right after the May 19th draft lottery, but for, I think for Heat people, as much as they want to be in the playoffs, that game, that moment that day might right. be as mu- mean as much as a lot of playoff moments have meant the last few years. So I think Definitely. we're sort of winding to a, a very important period for the Heat, even if it's not involving the playoffs. Definitely, yeah. We'll talk again, and there'll be so much more to talk about because then we know really what what kind of directions the Heat can take. But up until now, right now, we, we really don't know. Uh, but, yeah, thanks again uh, for joining us, and uh, we'll talk soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, bye-bye.